You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Sources name a Shiite militia aligned with Iran as one target of last week's U.S. cyber attacks. Myanmar shuts down mobile networks in its Rakhine province, where the Buddhist insurgents of the Arakan army have been using Facebook for coordination and inspiration. A major spam campaign is distributing Lokibot and Nanocore. Finite State finds bugs in Huawei gear, election security notes, and paying the ransom to ransomware extortionists. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, June 26, 2019. Last week's U.S. cyber attacks against Iranian targets haven't been officially acknowledged by the U.S., but a number of current and former U.S. officials are talking about them on background. Exactly which Iranian targets the U.S. hit hasn't been discussed with great specificity, Reports having characterized the attacks as directed against a Revolutionary Guard Associated Intelligence Group, said to be involved in tracking shipping in the region, and as interfering with missile launch or command systems. Reports are now identifying at least one of the groups affected. CNN says U.S. cyber strikes interfered with the operations of Kata'ib Hezbollah, a Shiite militia active in the region that's widely held to be an Iranian military proxy. Katahib Hezbollah is believed to have access to Iranian missiles, which suggests why it may have been singled out for neutralization. Warnings have been circulating to U.S. businesses since CISA's heads-up this Saturday that enterprises should expect a continuing uptick in cyber attacks emanating from Iran. Vice rather breathlessly attributes this to Iranian retaliation, saying that the U.S. cyber operations, quote, just put a target on American businesses. Quote, in truth, the target's been there for some time, as recent reports of increased Iranian attention to U.S. infrastructure appeared before last week's cyber attacks in the Gulf region. Most of the warnings urge organizations to arm themselves against phishing attacks with destructive wiper malware as the payload. Myanmar has shut down mobile networks in substantial sections of the Rakhine province, CNN reports. The blackout was imposed in conjunction with a military sweep. A regional news outlet, the Irrawaddy, says the government intends to keep the networks down until the situation in the troubled province stabilizes. Locals are believed to phone insurgents' information on government operations. 
UN observers have expressed concern that closing down the networks increases the risk of human rights violations being encountered by the prospect that they'll go unreported. Most of the international attention to ongoing violence in Myanmar has focused on the government's aggressive repression of the country's Rohingya Muslim minority, but the current blackout and security sweep isn't directed principally at the Rohingya. Instead, the government is seeking to shut down armed groups operating in the province. First, among those insurgent groups is the Arakan Army, which Foreign Policy notes claims to represent ethnic Rakhine Buddhists. The Arakan Army has for some time used Facebook for coordination and inspiration, despite Facebook's attempts to deny violent groups the use of its platform. The widespread adoption of software as a service provides both benefits and challenges to users and security teams. David Politis is CEO of BetterCloud, a SaaS operations management and security platform, and he makes the case that security pros should be on the lookout for information sprawl. You know, if you look at over the last five to ten years, the adoption of SaaS applications has really gone through the roof. And what's driving that is this move towards best-in-breed locations, best-in-breed infrastructure, best-in-breed environments. And, uh, you know, compared to the legacy environments where it would be very homogenous, you would say, I'm, I'm a Microsoft shop, I'm an IBM shop, and you would have everything in the stack, you, Active Directory, Exchange, SharePoint, Link, you'd have the entire stack, and that was your environment. Hmm. And in today's world, we've moved to this place where there's so many applications available for the different use cases and the different types of productivity uh, use cases that you have in your environment that people are moving to this this best-in-breed world. Maybe they have Exchange for mail. Maybe they're using Office 365, but then they'll have Slack for chat and instead of Teams, and they'll have Zoom for video calls, and they'll have Box instead of OneDrive SharePoint. So you're starting to see these environments that are best in breed. And I think that's been honestly amazing for the worker, the end user. Um, hmm. it's, it's changed the way that people work. The way people collaborate today in the workplace is unlike it's ever been before. And all of this has only happened in the last five years. I mean, if you look at it, Zoom wasn't around 10 years ago. Slack wasn't around 10 years ago. Office 365 wasn't around 10 years ago. And so really in the last five to 10 years, we've seen this massive adoption and and the rise of SaaS. The challenge is the sprawl. The challenge is that it's not all in one system. It's not all in one application. It's not all in one platform. And so the biggest challenge is centralizing all the information so that there's actually a clear view of where all your data lives, how that data is being accessed, how that data is being shared. That is the number one challenge that people have. When you solve that, that already gives you the visibility. At least you can see what's there. Now, there's a whole separate set of challenges around how do you control the access to those applications or or those the data objects but the number one thing we see where people are successful is when they start bringing all of this data from these disparate systems into a single place where they can at least see it audit it and dig into what's happening i'm imagining too that having everything uh in view like that allows you to handle things like for example encryption where you can make sure that uh, whatever level of encryption you think is appropriate to have dialed in by having that high level view of all your stuff it makes it easier to make sure that that's actually happening definitely and really actually where encryption 
comes in is what we're seeing, and this is, again, this is new in the last couple of years, is we're seeing that the native SaaS applications themselves are starting to offer different types of encryption choices to their customers, and and it's all built in natively inside of these SaaS applications. And so part of our view is we want to let customers control those native encryption choices that are given to them, those options that are given to them by a Salesforce, for example, who has a native encryption offering. We want to give our customers the ability to leverage that. It's not just encryption. I mean, encryption is a piece of it, but it's also, for example, let's say let's say you're looking at all your files and you see some sensitive files that may be shared inappropriately in Box. You want to be able to go and use the native security controls in Box to say, I want to lock this file. I want to tag this file with confidential, and I want to send a message to the security team that that just occurred with a link to where that all that information now is. And so our view is we believe, and I think customers believe this as well, and security, I believe, thinks that you want to use the native controls that are available from the SaaS applications so that you're not changing the behavior of your users. Mm-hmm. When you start changing the behavior of your users in those SaaS applications, when you force them to change how they interact, it kind of defeats the purpose of using the SaaS applications in the first place. We've seen customers who have come in and said, you know what, I'm going to go, companies come in, they say, I'm going to go to uh, platform XYZ, let's call it G Suite, for example. Mm. But I'm going to go there and I'm going to lock down all sharing, all collaboration, anything, where I'm going to lock it all down. Well, in that case, you might, you might as well not move to a cloud-based productivity application. And so I think the key is how do you leave, let users do what they want to do every day but control to at least kind of have this invisible hand, if you will, that's mm-hmm. making sure that they're doing it in the most secure way. It's hard to describe exactly, but that's how I envision. I envision security's job to be that invisible hand, to be there while users are doing what they want to do every day, being productive, sharing their files, but just making sure that they're doing it the right way and in a secure way. That's David Politis from Better Cloud. Researchers at Netscope are tracking a spam campaign that's been distributing LokiBot and NanoCore since April. The fish bait is a notice about an overdue invoice with an ISO file, specifically a disk image, which is unusual in this sort of criminal campaign. LokiBot, whose use in phishing attacks Netscope says is increasing, steals browsing information, checks for web and email servers, locates email and file transfer credentials, and detects popular remote administration tools. NanoCore is a remote access trojan, a rat. Finite State studied the supply chain and found Huawei gear unusually buggy. It doesn't say the bugs were deliberately introduced by Huawei, the Chinese government, or anyone else, but it does say that they amount to troubling vulnerabilities. The report casts doubt on whether undeniably low-priced Huawei equipment in fact represents best value. U.S. authorities have suggested that it doesn't and that there are better alternatives from both a security and an economic perspective. As the next U.S. election cycle approaches, the Global Cyber Alliance and the Center for Internet Security offer an election security toolkit for the use of authorities who actually run the voting. A survey by NormShield finds, surprisingly and encouragingly, that declared presidential candidates appear to be taking their campaign cybersecurity more seriously than has been the case in the recent past. The U.S. federal government is also publicly committing to work with state and local officials to secure the election. 
Administration officials at a press call organized by the National Security Council yesterday said they were focused on two main problems, potential interference, that is, ensuring that votes can be cast and counted properly, and potential influence, that is, disinformation and other information operations. The administration is expanding free support services to all 50 states and to all presidential campaigns. That support includes, among other things, sharing classified information with affected parties when it's relevant and necessary. A PWC study of leading cybersecurity practitioners, trailblazers as the study calls them, finds again that what sets the successful apart is their ability to align cybersecurity with business objectives and practices. ProPublica reports that MSISoft, in an investigatory sting, found that the Scotland-based ransomware recovery service Red Mosquito would pay the ransom and then charge the customer four times that amount for its services. Here's how the sting went. MSISoft researcher Fabian Vosser made up some phony ransomware, called it Gotcha, and sent Red Mosquito an email with a request to help under the assumed name of Joe Mess. He also set up contact info for the pretended attackers. Within minutes, he said Red Mosquito contacted the faux hackers and began negotiating over the ransom. Bosser's Mr. Mess identity had said he didn't want to pay the ransom, and he asked Red Mosquito to confirm that they wouldn't do so on his behalf. He received a non-committal, We are still investigating and will get back to you as soon as possible. But the correspondence between the ransomware recovery company and the pretended masters of gotcha went something like this. How much for decrypt? $1,200 in Bitcoin. You pay. We provide key and decryptor to recover data. Can you do for 500 USD? $900. Take it or kiss data bye-bye. We don't run charity here. Shortly thereafter, Red Mosquito contacted Joe Mess with the good news. They were pleased to confirm that we can recover your encrypted files. The price? $3,950. MSISoft objects mostly to the lack of transparency. There might be times you'd pay ransom, MSISoft says, but you should be clear that that's what you're doing. Some victims of ransomware are concluding it might be better to pay up. We're not convinced this is generally a good idea, but another Florida town has decided to pony up. Lake City became the second municipality in the Sunshine State to pay ransom in as many weeks. On Monday, the city council voted to pay $460,000 to recover its files. Of course, there's no guarantee the criminals will keep their word. They sometimes do and sometimes don't. Lake City's nearly half a million is steep, but if you've fumbled your defenses, it could cost you a lot more. After all, the price tag for recovery in Baltimore is now $18 million and counting. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps. 
keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. David, it's always great to have you back. You recently spent some time over at InfoSec Europe, and you brought back some interesting things to compare, Europe versus the U.S., and what you're seeing when it comes to uh, threats and collaboration. Uh, That's exactly right. Great to be back, David. Uh, Always love to talk about these topics. And I think you know, uh, maybe some of your listeners don't, we have a very big presence in Europe as well as the United States. And I think those of us in the U.S. always just presume that everyone thinks about the same type of issues or think about things in the same way that we do here in the States. But Europe has some different things that are concerning them, none of which will be a surprise. I just think that the level of concern that maybe isn't here in the States anymore that they have for certain things is pretty interesting. Take us through what some of the things you learned. We're going to sing the same old song of ransomware and phishing but here in the in the U.S., I think I don't want to say ransomware is under control, but people are more familiar with it. We know how it works. We spend a lot of time understanding how to prevent it, how to get rid of it. And we've all had the debate. Should you pay? Should you not pay? I think that debate and those discussions are just now really coming to the forefront in Europe. And, and I don't know if. You know, credit card scams were, you know, predominantly U.S. based for a while and now they're becoming global. I don't know if you take advantage of the U.S. first because that's where the money is and then you start propagating elsewhere. That could be happening. But there's a lot of discussion and you see a lot of concern about ransomware. Yeah, it's interesting to me that it seems like there are some basic cultural differences that inform these things. I think the big one is privacy, where we have GDPR and Europeans seem to have a different approach to privacy than we do here in the U.S., That is a fact. And again, I'm going to bring that jump to GDPR. You know, that is number one in their minds, has been for several years. And to be fair, they had this huge regulation coming down from the EU, whether depending on you think it's good or bad, I'm I'm not going to make that um, discussion. But they have had to focus so much of their energy on the GDPR efforts over the last several years. They haven't been paying as much attention to ransomware, phishing, machine learning. So what are your recommendations for folks who are looking to do business in Europe? Any uh, sensitivities they should have when they're reaching out? Well, for sure, the number one thing is GDPR. It's still top of mind. Everyone really focuses on that. Um, data protection is key because people are worried about you know getting sued or, or things of that nature. But in general, I think it's the same idea of how are you protecting the endpoints? How are you protecting the customers? 
focusing on phishing and, and ransomware right now is something that they really are looking at. It's kind of what we talk about here, but just you get the bundle in GDPR. I mean, it sounds like we've got more in common than, than we don't, but there are some important nuances to take note of as well. That's exactly right. And, you know, the, the cycles are a little bit different over there. I think we all end up at the same place. We just might take different trains to get there. All right. Well, David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Great being here, David. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.